Tim. Thank you, praise team. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word. You can turn with me to the book of 1 John, and we are back in uh, 1 John after our uh, brief uh, time in Colossians and talking about the twists and turns of life and Vacation Bible School. And as you can see, things look a little bit different around here, and uh, very thankful for everybody who was involved in making them look different the first time and for making them undifferent. So, it's nice. But we are back into 1 John and looking at uh, all of what it means to know Jesus and knowing Jesus and all the ways we have seen this along the way. And it's always so helpful in thinking about you know, where we are within the text. As we, you turn in your Bible, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 down through verse 12. And as you're turning there, right, it's always helpful to think about, okay, where have we been? Talking about you know, confidence in the love of God and being victoriously born again and what that looks like and even with the in, how we ended the last time we were in 1 John in verse 5 and speaking so specifically concerning the identity of Jesus as the Son of God and the significance that we find in that. Now, here we are on Father's Day also, and of course, on Father's Day, you've probably heard from your own dads, there are many times where dads just like to tell stories, right? And uh, there are all manner of things that you heard from, the, from your fathers, and along the way, oftentimes what happens is you realize... Some of those stories, you, you lean in, you're like, are you pulling my leg, right? Is this really true? Are you, are you sure this actually happened? I mean, they're telling the story. Maybe you've heard the stories before. And, you know, the first time you heard the story, it was one fish about this big. And the third time you heard the story, it was like six fish about this big. And you're like, these two things don't match up, right? Or maybe, maybe you've heard the story and it was like, he's told it this way in one circumstance. And you come over here and he told it exactly the same way. And you're like... Hey, there we go. That's consistent. I think that's probably accurate to what happened, right? And so it's helpful for us to see those things in the sort of earthly realm because it's helpful for us in thinking about who God is and His character and the way in which He testifies concerning Himself. Because where we have seen, and maybe for all of us as fathers, we have taken time to over-exaggerate some of the things that we've done or under-exaggerate some of the things that we have done as well. At the same time, we have to look to the Heavenly Father who is always perfect, whose testimony is always true, who is always sure and always consistent. And we must hear, heed, receive, and believe the testimony of God the Father. So grab your copy of God's Word. Read with me, if you will, as we listen to the testimony and look into the testimony of God Himself in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 6. And this is what we read. He says, speaking of Jesus being the Son of God, he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see the truth here today. 
Father, even as we gather and as we think and as we remember and we think of all the stories that we could sit around and tell all day long, Father, we have heard so many things, even this past week, all of the things that we have heard and listened to. And Father, focus our attention that we would hear and heed your word, your testimony, that we would hear your fatherly kindness, your fatherly love, and Father, that we would hear, believe, receive, and be transformed by your grace and your love. Father, we pray that you would display your fatherly kindness in our midst in a way that would boggle our imagination. Father, do that in our own hearts individually as we walk together in your word today. Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' mighty name and for his great glory. Amen. So as we jump right back in here in verse 6, I mean, it's, he's just jumping right off of where he was a moment ago in verse 5, speaking of, you know, the, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And then he, sp- he jumps right in there and says, verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Jesus, and it's like what we're doing here is it, we're dialing down our attention We're focusing in on the person and the work of Jesus Christ, even thinking about the way in which he came. Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God, that his coming was required for our salvation. And we see the necessity of his arrival. He came. But even the way the words are phrased here is meant to indicate to us that for him to have come in the way that he did means that he existed before he came right? He came, and he already was, but he came in the flesh for us. And his coming testifies to his identity, and we're supposed to see the link here between his identity and his mission, which is why he brings these things up in terms of the testimony of God. He says, this is he who came by water and blood. Now, if you've ever read a commentary on this portion of scripture here, there are some people who just sort of jump all over the map. And some people will just say, well, this is an indication of Jesus being born, right? And all the water and blood that's affiliated with that. I don't believe that's what is going on here. There are other people who say, well, this is a testimony of what happened on the cross whenever Jesus was pierced with the spear and out came water and blood. I don't think that's what's going on here either. I think when we think of the mission and ministry of Jesus, we think of two things. We can think of them both in terms of water and of blood. You remember the beginning of Jesus' ministry? What happened? He was baptized. And his baptism was a testimony, right? In order to fulfill all righteousness, he was baptized. And so he came and his baptism testifies to the fact that he is fulfilling all righteousness. And that you even think of the witness of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Father there in the baptism of Jesus. And the Father looks at his son and says, what? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You feel, you can hear, you can sense the testimony of the baptism of Jesus there. Interestingly enough, you think of the Apostle John himself. Who was he a disciple of before he was a disciple of Jesus? He was a disciple of John the Baptist. Interesting to make that connection, isn't it? But not only did he come by water, it's not that Jesus was just baptized and he had a wonderful ministry. He also came by blood, the atoning sacrifice where he died on the cross for our sin, that he really did die on a real cross for our real sin to really atone for our real sin so that we could have a real forgiveness. That his propitiation took place in real time where he endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. 
that he would provide forgiveness. And so here it is. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, whose name means Yahweh is salvation, who is the anointed one, the Messiah, who fulfills all three anointed offices of the Old Testament. He is the full and final prophet. He is our great high priest, and he is our king. This is he who came. And not, all, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And see, it's easy for us to read this and just sort of plod through it in such a way where we're reading it. It's just like, is he just being repetitive here? He's not. He's actually emphasizing the point and emphasizing the fact that there's a greater point here. You think of one who was drawn up out of the water, who captured a lot of people's ideas of significance, and his name was Moses. He's greater than that. You think of John the Baptist and the wonderful ministry that he had, but this is bigger than just testifying by water and baptism for repentance. No, that this is testifying by water and blood. The, the baptism of Jesus matters to the degree that we see that it's connected with the cross of Jesus Christ. That we're not piecemealing the whole ministry and identity of Jesus together. It's not like the dad who takes something that's not really working right and takes it apart in its entirety and lays all the pieces out and then proceeds to start putting things back together. And what winds up happening oftentimes, at least in our house, is that you wind up with something that's sort of halfway put back together and a bunch of leftover pieces after the fact. That's not what's going on here. We don't get to do that with the Bible. We don't get to do that with the revelation of who Jesus is. We're not taking bits and pieces that we like and leaving the rest on the table. No, we take it as it has been revealed because it's the testimony of God himself. And it's all necessary and it's all crucial that he would fulfill all righteousness and he would die as an atoning sacrifice, the only atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. It's all testifying to the fact that we need the same thing and his name is Jesus Christ. But he goes on to say, in the middle of verse 6, he says, And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. It's amazing, even in thinking about this. Here we are on Father's Day, and now we're already making Trinitarian references. This is very fun, isn't it? The Holy Spirit himself is the one who testifies here. The third person of the Trinity. So the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, that they are all one. There's one God in three persons. Jesus makes reference to this repeatedly in the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. You find it really all over the place, but he specifically articulates it even there. Now, it's the Spirit of God is the one who testifies. And that he's presently testifying that even as we read God's word this morning, he's presently testifying that the Spirit of God is at work through the word of God, clarifying and bearing witness in our own lives. This was true at the baptism of Jesus that we made reference to just a moment ago. Remember the dove? This is true even you can see the conviction of sin that was provided for the centurion that was at the foot of the cross because by the time it was all over, what did he have to say about the whole thing? Truly, this was the Son of God. He who is one with the Father and the Son is he who testifies. It's nice to hear from somebody who really knows what they're talking about, isn't it? Nice to hear from somebody who really knows that it's not just, hey, I read about this one time. This is God himself making himself known. 
And that more important than anything else for a witness is that the witness tells the truth. That's why in a court of law, we still do it, right? We stand up and we take an oath. If you're going to take the stand, and what do you do? You swear to tell the whole truth. And nothing but the truth, so help me God. We do this even when we tell ridiculous stories. And people are like, that's not true. And you're like, I swear. Trying to back it up. We, we feel the necessity of undergirding truth that is revealed. God himself is truth. His character stands behind his whole self-revelation to us in his word. As it says here, the spirit is the truth. Now what a statement of being that is. And you think of even how this is connected with other places, that God is the spirit of truth, or you can even think of John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're like, well, how could all of those things be true? Because of the Trinity. Here it is again. He's not just sharing true facts. He is himself the truth. And if we were talking about anyone else, this would be absolutely pretentious. But because of who he is and the glory of who he is, this is absolutely precious. He is the truth. And he testifies of himself out of his own essential being. Now, the nature of our own humanity comes out in the testimony that we give, right? You can even think of it in terms of dads. We all like dad jokes. For those of us who are dads, we like to annoy our children with puns. It's just fun. I don't know why. I didn't enjoy it before I became a dad. But all of a sudden now, as the kids are passing by, I'm like, hey, I got a good one for you. And they're like, oh, here we go, right? Just feel like it's my right. It's out of the essential nature of my being. It just has to come out. How much more so with who God the Father is? He is the truth. The spirit of truth testifies and it comes out. And ultimately as we read this, we need to start asking ourselves, well, who is it that I'm listening to? Because we're all listening to someone. The broadcast is playing on some channel in our minds and in our hearts. We're tuning in to listen to somebody's voice. It could be some podcast that's out there. could be reading some book. could be watching something on TV. could be listening to some radio. What is, what is the testimony that's being given there? Maybe for some of us in here, it's time to change the channel. Time to tune in to God himself. Time to listen to the testimony that is truth. That he himself is the spirit of truth and he testifies concerning himself. And maybe you're reading this and you think, well, I could use a few more reasons. It's good you ask because the text provides. Because as we see, as we're being compelled to trust the testimony of God, we read in verse 7, it says, for there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. This one, here we are, the three testify. Now, if one person tells a story, that tells a, a, gives Witness, that's great. Two, and they're telling the same thing. Hey, that's even better. Three, we're like, man, this is really clear. What, What level of assurance? Because we've all known the frustration of what it's like in hearing one person say one thing and one person say another, and we're like, there's no way these two things could be true at the same time. 
That's some of the frustration that we have whenever we watch the news, isn't it? Because we hear one thing over here, and we're like, oh, okay. And we hear the opposite thing over here, and we're like, which one of you is lying? And which one of you is telling the truth? And it's frustrating. The Spirit who is the truth. There are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. The Spirit who is the truth, who is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Spirit of God, who convicts and gives clarity, who gives us hope and holiness, who guides us into all truth, just as Jesus said he would within the Gospel of John. Testifying along with the water, the baptism of Jesus, and the fulfilling of all righteousness for us. Testifying by the blood and his death and his propitiatory sacrifice, his atoning work that the suffering servant died in our place. He who is our Passover lamb really did die and really did rise again. And all three agree. Or as it is easily translated, all are one. Now if you were doing an investigation to try to sort out what's the truth, this is what you'd be looking for, wouldn't it? Witnesses that agree. Witnesses that agree on every single point. We've been there and trying to sort out the behavior of other people where it's like, you know, you tell me the story and the story's unpacked and you get all the details over here and then you go over here, you tell me the story and you get all the details over here and it's like, hang on a second. It's frustrating. But when all of the details agree, you start to see, okay, well, we'll call somebody else in here and they start to say the same thing, agreeing on every point. Entire harmony makes you want to believe, doesn't it? And as we think of the identity and the mission of Jesus Christ, of testifying to his all-sufficiency and the grandeur of his glory and the majesty of his character and his power to save and to redeem and to reconcile, shouldn't this get our attention? Shouldn't we be looking to him and being like, yes, I trust in the testimony of God because it's like it's shouting at us saying, Behold, the glory of Jesus, the Son of God who took on flesh, who was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin, who went to the cross and died there for us, that he endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against us, our sin, that all who repent and believe have life in his name. And then after he laid down his life three days later, he rose again. Listen to the testimony. Hear it. Heed it. Receive it. And trust it. Because as he says here in verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. If we receive the testimony of men, do we? Of course we do. We have conversations with with each other all the time, don't we? We listen to what other people have to say. We want to know. Now, of course, none of us want to be gullible. But we all want to have some sort of relational connection. And so we listen. And maybe you listen to the preseason rankings as you're trying to get ready for football season in this nap between seasons that they call baseball season. Maybe you're listening to all the things that are on social media and wondering what in the world is going on with everything that's going on around you. You're watching the news. We receive it. And it's natural for us to do so. 
It's assumed that we would, at least to some degree, listen to one another. But the point is being made that if we're so willing and eager to receive the testimony of one another, and we are, the testimony of God is greater, is it not? Greater in what way? Greater in clarity, greater in authority, greater in glory, greater in sufficiency. You could say greater in every single conceivable way. And it's not even really close, is it? The testimony of men often is misshapen and manipulated. We know that and we still receive it. But if we're going to trust that, how much more so should we trust in the unmanipulated truth of God himself that he has given to us? This is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. It's interesting, that phrase even here, the testimony of God, this is the only place in the New Testament where it is used. Now, the testimony of Jesus, that phrase is used five times in the book of Revelation. But as far as the phrase testimony of God, this is the only place we find this in the New Testament. And so that you can see, and we ought to see, God's intent in making himself known, that he's not being secretive, and he's not being vague, he's not throwing things out there to confuse us, he's not playing hide-and-seek with us, he has written the grandeur of his glory in the skies. He's written the grandeur of, of his glory under the microscope, and everywhere in between those two points. We see it everywhere. When our eyes are open, it's like the more you look, the more you see, and it just gets more amazing. And you start to see all these expressions of the ways in which he has revealed himself, and his truth is confirmed over and over and over and over and over again. So it's like you get up, and you get up in the morning, you read your Bible, and you're like, okay, this is amazing, and you read that, and you turn around, you start to live your life, and you're just like, here it is. He's proven true again, and we get excited, even though it may be the 10,000th time that's happened in our own lives. We love it. We rejoice in the truth. The testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. He's the one who brought it up. He's the one who's made such a big deal out of it. And so by this focused attention of the Father and going out of his way to make himself known, he's drawing us to look and to focus our attention where he's focused. That's how we all are, isn't it? As we think of Father's Day, that's a natural tendency for us. Most of the things that we like, a lot of times, are directly related to the things that our fathers like. Some of the books that I've read, the only reason I read them was because my dad took an interest in them. Think of history, think of maps, think of sports. Even thinking about me making fun of baseball a moment ago. My dad hated baseball. It just comes out every once in a while. It's interesting thinking about that, isn't it? Because we've lit, even if it was just a short amount of time where you had it, even if your dad wasn't even a good father, 
So much of the interest that we have in a variety of things in our own lives is directly tied to the one who is our dad. How much more so in knowing God as Father through faith in Jesus Christ that as he's focusing all of his attention on beholding the glory and the grandeur of Jesus Christ and look at what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, how much more so should Jesus capture our attention because we're listening to our heavenly Father. And so we see this three-part testimony, these three witnesses meeting our three needs for salvation. We need righteousness because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are empty of righteousness on our own, but Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for our sake. You think of the testimony of the blood. We are not sufficient. We can't even provide a sufficient sacrifice for the forgiveness of our own sins, but God did through the sending of his own son. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We need the Spirit of God to make these dead bones live. To call us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. To take us who are dead in our trespasses and sins and make us alive in Christ Jesus. Do you trust the testimony of God? Are you listening to what he has said? Are you believing? Do you trust him? Who Who are you waiting for if not? Who's Who's better that's going to come rolling around? Who more should we listen to? So trust in the testimony of God. And as you do, notice the distinctive difference of trusting Him. That we ought to see the distinctions between belief and unbelief. Because in verse 10 we're told, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Believe in the sense of more than just assenting to the facts, but of laying all of your confidence in them. Actively trusting that you require the righteousness of Christ, that you require His substitutionary atonement, that you require the Spirit of God, and that if you believe in the Son of God as He's revealed Himself in His identity and His mission provided for us, if you believe, you have the testimony within you. Actually having the Spirit of God within you. We can see again, even even right here in thinking of understanding the nature and the mission of the Son of God Himself, we can see the Bible testifying to the fact of believing in the Trinity as an essential doctrine. Now, I know a lot of times we talk about, you know, various things. The Trinity is an essential doctrine. We have one God that has revealed Himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe that, you can call yourself whatever you want, but you're not a Christian. It is an essential doctrine doctrine because this is how God has revealed himself. We we require the Trinity, even for Jesus to keep his promises, but we require even more than that, our understanding of the Son of God, that he is fully God and fully man. In order to fulfill all righteousness in our place, he has to be fully man in order to endure the full outpouring of the wrath of God and save us before he lays down his life to take it back up again. He has to be fully God. We require him as he is. 
And so whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. That your life will testify to the same thing. Because when you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, he really does transform your life. It really is walking from darkness into light. We've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of a sudden, his grace starts to bear forth wonderful fruit in our lives, and we see things coming up in ways that we never saw before. And so your life is going to testify to the reality of what he has done and what he continues to do in you, that you're forgiven and clothed in his righteousness. You're made new, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so there's holiness and there's fruit. You're resting in his grace when the whispers of condemnation come. So you're not good enough. And your answer is, I know Jesus is. You don't deserve this. I know that's how gracious our God is. The Spirit of God testifying within us to the same reality that has been revealed in Jesus Christ. To the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, even when following Him in this culture and in this world, or even in your own personal life. It may feel like everywhere along the way it just feels like loss after loss after loss. But no, when you know Christ, you know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And for whose sake? I lose all things. Who would tell you that? Who testifies to that? Who's revealed that to you? Only God himself. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Not everybody believes But there's only two options, really. You either receive the testimony of God, or you're calling God a liar. That's it. Here he is demonstrating, having already demonstrated, the veracity of truth. And that if you don't believe him, you are not simply settled in your unbelief. You are actually maligning the character of God himself. And it is meant to be a terrifying thought. Because if you retain this through the rest of your life into death, you will feel the full weight of the wrath against your maligning of his character. To not believe God, he says, has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. God has been very clear. Consider how gracious God is that he has given us his word. He's not given us a confusing picture to look at and try to make sense out of that. As if we're standing at some art museum and be like, well, I see such and such and this and this and this. And another person's like, well, I see this and this and this. And you're standing in the middle of them and be like, I don't have any clue in the world what either one of you are talking about. No, he's revealed himself in his word. With clear words. Spoken so specifically. Spoken in such a way that we can understand. 
Look at how good our God is that he has revealed himself in this way, given us his testimony. Is it any surprise that if we ignore his directions and ignore his instructions and ignore his testimony, that it would lead to an absolute mess? Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're realizing by the work of the Spirit of God, you need him. He says in verse 11, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. God gave us eternal life. He's the great giver. Good fathers give, don't they? And I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about good fathers give love, give time, give themselves, give care, give attention, give comfort, give the joy and enjoyment of things. Our Father in heaven is the great giver. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. God gave because we couldn't afford what we need. We couldn't earn it. But he loves to give. God gave us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. That we'll be forever with him. And that eternal life isn't just something that we look forward to in the great beyond. It's something we enjoy right now. The life that is in his son. Life in Jesus. By whom, through whom, to whom are all things. You think of the way in which this is testified in other places. I mean, you can think of the letter to the Ephesians, even within the first chapter, right? In Ephesians 1-7, in him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 11, in him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together for the counsel of his will. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Christ, there's hope and comfort and grace and joy. In Christ, we have all we need. And life is in Him. This is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son, which means if you don't have life in His Son, you don't have life. But if you have Jesus, you may not have much of anything else, but you have life. A life worth living now and a life that will go on forever. Whoever, verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's clear that we're being led to a point of decision here, or at least a point of assessment. You start looking in our own lives, start taking inventory. What's on the shelf there? Do you have him? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Because whoever has the Son has life. Continually, enduringly. 
I mean, you, you think of even the I am statements that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John, where he says, I am the bread of life. You think of it even in, in thinking about John chapter 8 and speaking of Jesus being the light of the world, where he says this, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You think of Jesus talking about himself as the door, and he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He speaks of himself as the good shepherd. He speaks of himself as the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He describes himself even as, I am the vine, and the only way that we have any evidence of life in ourselves is that we abide in him. We see this all over the place. Do you have life in you? Whoever has the Son has life. In all the ways that we think, in all the ways that we desire, in all the things that we pursue, all the ways we use our time. Led by, directed by, pointed to, all offered for. He who is our life. But whoever does not have the Son does not have life. There's no neutrality here. There's no such thing as a theological demilitarized zone where you just stand in between in no man's land. You either have the sun and have life or you don't have the sun and you don't have life. Those are the options. That's reality. And that if you don't have life in Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You're without hope in this world. You're walking in darkness without comfort. And it only gets worse from here. Because if you die in a state where your sin is unforgiven, now you will go to where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and agony and in wrath and bleak darkness forever. Do we see the distinction here? Do we see the necessity of running to Jesus and believing that perhaps you just need to flee the wrath to come and believe in Jesus and who he is? Finally, put aside all the competing voices in your life and say, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you're telling the truth, that you have revealed yourself in your son, that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sin and rise from the dead. There's forgiveness and everlasting life in his name. Turn off all the other competing voices. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. With tears in your eyes, broken over your own sin, Understanding the weight of what you deserve for your own, of your own sin. Lift your eyes and cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you can go home from this place not only justified, but with life eternal in you. Won't you come to Jesus here today if you never have? And if you have, won't you worship him in spirit and truth for the life he has given you. However you need to respond today, may Jesus be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you. Thank you for being so abundantly clear. Father, we pray that at this moment now would be a moment of clarity for everybody in here.
For the believer who's here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, Father, we pray that this would be a moment of clear adoration and worship for the life that you have given them. Just a moment of absolutely full of thankfulness and awe and wonder at how you have provided and that you have provided yourself. Father, may you be worshipped for all of what you've done. And Father, we pray also for the those who are here who have turned a hard heart to you time and time and time and time again, who have listened to their own voice rather than listening to your voice. Father, we pray that now would be a moment of clarity where there would be a turning from sin and self and a turning to you. In a simple cry, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Believing that Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. There's life in his name. Father, bear forth life in our midst as we trust your testimony together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.